Terror and Podnito presents a new episode of the Gory Details. <laughs> another episode of our podcast special the gory details a series where we interview horror figures from all walks of life and give them an opportunity to speak about their experiences this week i'm with julia marchese host co-host of one of my my personal favorite podcasts and let me tell you it's just such an honor to have you on the show if you have never listened to the horror horror movie survival guide it is a wonderful podcast it's kind of a similar format to ours uh much more streamlined much more uh compact whereas we tend to be long form uh their episodes tend to be probably what half hour to 45 minutes or so you say yeah um so if you're you're in for a quick bites of uh analysis film analysis they're definitely the place to go but before we jump into the interview real quick uh if you guys have been watching hbo's lovecraft country our friends over at fansided have a really terrific companion podcast we'd love for you to check out the show is called lovecraft country chronicles and not only covers the HBO show from a fan perspective, but it does a great job of diving into the themes behind the story. Hosts Mia Johnson and Natalie Zamora welcome a diverse set of experts and fans each and every week. Ever wonder what the history was behind Sundown Towns? Want a crash course in Lovecraftian horror? This is the show for you. Check out Love Crun- sorry, Lovecraft Country Chronicles on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever, wherever else you get your podcasts. Julia. Once again, thank you for coming on. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, your Freudian slip is so good. <laughs> you're gonna play that back, and you're gonna laugh. It is. It is what it is. I'm probably gonna play it back and 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 just re-record over top of it. <laughs> Don't you dare. <laughs> It's wonderful, once again, to have you on the podcast. Tell, uh, we'll, we'll start off with the most obvious thing. Let's talk about your podcast first, Horror Movie Survival Guide. You guys have been doing this. You guys started a little bit before we did. I think you guys had about 20 episodes or so in. And when we were digging through um, podcasts that we were trying to find to get inspiration for our show, we stumbled across uh, you guys. And I've been addictively listening ever since. Um Tell our fans kind of what you guys do, what you and Terry are up to, and and uh, what the 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 catalyst for creating the podcast was. Sure. So yes, horror movie survival guide. It's been going on for like three years now. I think we have over 170 episodes uh, as of this recording, and it all started out uh, way back in college, actually. So I met uh, Marion Kerr, who is my one of my best friends. And she, when I met her in college, she had never seen a horror movie. And I was a big horror hound since high school. And so then, so it's junior high, actually. And so I said, okay, well, if you've never seen a horror movie, let me show you Nightmare on Elm Street, because that's my very favorite. And if you don't like it, we don't have to watch any other horror movies. But she loved it so much. And the thing that she loved about it was that Nancy was this badass who just takes control. And like she's I'm like, I'm into survival. So that's the whole kind of idea behind it. So... Marion was like, oh, is this like a thing? And I'm like, yeah, it's the final girl trope, right? Like this girl who's going to like take control and do it herself and win in the end. 
so she said, well, if we watch enough horror movies, then maybe we can learn how to survive and be a horror, like the horror final girl. Mm-hmm. So our senior year of college at UC Irvine, we went and we rented every single horror movie from the horror movie section of our local video store called Gold Star Video. Um, <laughs> and it, uh, there was this really, really adorable woman who ran it who was so confused by this these two very sweet looking girls coming in and just like renting every horror movie they had. So we ended up watching all these horror movies and we we started a notebook and the notebook was you would write down a little something about every movie and you would write down quotes and we had a rating system and the whole bit. So we decided to turn it into a podcast and go back through the notebook and start talking about the movies we had watched in college. Mm -hmm. Um, And so Marion was my co-host for probably half of our episodes. Um, And then we switched over to Terry Gamble, who is my another one of my best friends since college. And she uh, had never really delved into horror at all like a total newbie so she's learning everything as she goes you're basically reliving it again yeah i am and i'm like introducing somebody new to this whole thing but there's such a difference between marion and terry because marion so for like so the first uh, movie i showed terry was hellraiser which i was a little nervous about because it's pretty intense and the first time i showed it you know marion and i watched it like we were both kind of cowering in the couch and just couldn't believe the horror of it and i showed it to terry and she laughed at it and like just in delight, like the like Jesus wept scene. She was laughing and I was like, wow, I've never met anybody who laughed at that. That's a whole new thing to me. And so she, it's just like she is this like gore hound at heart. She didn't know that the show was pulled out of her. That's that's uh, a pretty big difference. I remember listening to the old episodes of Marion and just being uh, fascinated by kind of the way that she used to kind of explain herself and present herself on the podcast, because it really was one of those. Uh, it, it sounded like it was a genre that she shouldn't have have uh, adhered to quite as much as she did just just kind of her describing her herself personally throughout bits and pieces of the cast and uh it's always funny one of those when you find a friend who uh has no previous real experience with the genre and they come across somebody like you know yourself uh who (laughs) lives and breathes inside the genre it's it's always so awesome to be able to share something like that with them and to be able to do it again with terry and the interesting thing is you know there's a lot of podcasts out there that that you lose a co-host and it's hard to find somebody to kind of take the reins Mm -hmm. and and step in but you and terry have such a natural chemistry together as well and she used to be your producer correct yes so she produced uh and then turned into host halfway through. So it was actually, the show became a show because of Terry, because she was working um, with our first producer, Adam Bowman, who was awesome, and he was working for our podcasts. And so Terry was like, I know somebody we should talk to. And she was the one who hooked, hooked us up. And then, um, you know, we've switched uh, engineers, and we've switched producers. And so uh, it's been awesome to, it's been, because we're both, we've both known each other for so long. So I met Marion my freshman year of college at UC Irvine, and then I met Terry, my junior year of college, when we both studied abroad in Norwich in England, and we met on the plane, mm. we sat next to each other on the plane over, on the way over, and like we've been friends ever since. So I think it benefits the show a lot. We have, we both, Marianne and Terry and I, all have this very like you know natural rapport because we've been best friends for so long. And so some people ask us like, do you have a script? Do you know when the other person's going to talk? I'm like, no, we just this, we've been friends long enough that we know when what the other person's doing with their conversation. So you guys kind of just vibe off one another's. I'm assuming you take notes for the films. 
uh, and then you just basically use those to dictate the course of the copious notes. Okay. All right. I uh... yes, we both we both take co- copious amounts of notes. It's it's very academic, and it's I can't even really watch unless it's her and I watching together. I can't really watch any of the movies I'm watching with somebody else because there's so many of me like pausing and writing something down and getting the exact quote, and you know, like so. It's a very it's like watching it for school basically, except it's for a podcast, and it's uh, delightful. Right. It's funny how it kind of turns into a, a sort of a second job, this film analysis that you try to do for this. I mean, podcasts always start off as a passion project and then you take them on and, and you start to get a listenership with them and they, they end up becoming a second job sort of, but they never really feel that way because it's just always something that you enjoy or the same way. I mean, you know, we, at least I personally tend to do like a one viewing just all the way through, especially if it's a new film that I haven't seen before. Generally, if it's something that I've seen dozens of times already, then I'll just jump in and take notes. But I try to do one viewing where where it's organic and I just view it as as an audience member. And then the second time through, I usually bust out the notebook and start start writing down things uh, as, as much as I can. Um, what kind of things when you're analyzing films and when you're doing this for the podcast, what kind of things jump out? at you first do you look for cinematography do you look for script writing do you look for character development what what appeals to you the most well i think the most important thing about horror movies is always going to be the characters because if you don't care about the characters then you don't care if they die so and and a lot of horror movies like you have to get to like them very quickly because they're going to get to that get killed pretty pretty darn quick and there's you know there's a lot of movies where i don't buy the friend groups and i'm like these people aren't really friends like right. i can tell they're not hanging out like you know and it it like the, even even and i you know nightmare on elm street's my favorite horror movie of all time but i'm sorry there's no way that like glenn and rod and tina and nancy are all hanging out together right like tina and rod seem to hate each other they all seem to hate rod they like he's like this weird i don't buy it like it's so weird like i wanted them to be buddies mm-hmm. but sometimes like it's just a, a strange dynamic um it is a really bizarre dynamic with that group. I'll give you that. <laughs> okay. I guess Rod's like the wild card, right? Like, yep. you know, Tina seems like she might start a date with someone and they're like, oh, we don't know about this guy, but we have to be friends with him because she's, you know, her boyfriend. So it, it, maybe it's supposed to seem like an awkward situation. Like he's like shoehorned into the group now in a weird way. It's it's possible, you know. It's you're talking you're over here talking about friend dynamics with the characters, whereas I tend to look at things more as like a, a individual character development, like the the arc of that specific character going forward, and and less the dynamics or relationships, I guess, that they have. Unless a relationship really irks me, I tend not to pay a whole lot of attention to it. And it's funny because you mentioned Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street also has a very uh, personal. Um, I have a personal attachment to that film because uh, and my my listeners are going to roll their eyes because I've said this story, you know, probably a dozen times on this podcast. But the, the the that movie was the film that got me into horror because as a kid, uh, I was exposed to that movie pretty young. Um, and as a kid, I used to have these these awful night terrors. Um, and so my cousin, who was basically like a sister to me, um, we grew up together and she always used to try to show me these, these scary movies to kind of scare me. And she always got a kick out of making me cry and stuff when I was a kid. Um, and this movie nightmare on Elm street was completely different than anything else I'd ever seen because all of a sudden you could fight back against your dreams. And since my specific issue was fighting against, or was dealing with nightmares, 
um, the movie really spoke to me <laughs> on a level that that uh, that movie probably shouldn't be speaking to a kid of of only like five or six at the time. <laughs> Did- and did it work? It did. It it did. Like I saw that movie, and it was one of those things. Like I remember uh, very clearly having a conversation with my mom at the time, and being like, maybe it was a good thing. She was so she was so pissed at my cousin for letting me watch this uh, because it was a legitimate fear. But then we, we we spoke about it, and she was like, "Well, it taught you to fight back, or it's teaching you to fight back." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess that's true." She's just all you have to do is remember it's just a dream and fight back. And and uh, yeah, it did. It helped a lot. It helped immensely. Um, and it kind of put horror on the map for me. And as soon as, as soon as, you know, I, I fell in love with that series, all of them, I love that entire series, uh, regardless of what people like to say about the later entries. I really love them. Um, Okay, I'm, and, I'm, we don't uh, yeah. have to get into that argument. That's okay. You love this. You love all of them. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love all of them. There, <laughs> I acknowledge. I wholeheartedly acknowledge that, much like like a lot of other franchises in horror that go on way too long, that they are awful. <laughs> but I mean, I got two words for you: soul pizza. Hey, <laughs> come on, soul pizza. I'm sorry. No, the thing, I mean, the thing is, is like Nightmare on Elm Street, the first one is so sacred to me because I think it's such a beautifully made, very intelligent, incredibly scary film. Right. Where the effects still look good. Tina's death is still my favorite death on screen, period. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it was really kind of taking the genre to a new level and not playing down to its audience, which I feel like a lot of horror movies do. They're like, eh, it's young kids who want tits and sex and gore and whatever. Like, they don't really care about it. They're like, Wes Craven really thought about it. It's a very thoughtful story. And so it it, is at this very, like, high pedestal for me. And then, like, you go from that to Nightmare 2, which I understand has its charms, but exactly not at the same level. Right. Um, So I'm very precious about the first one. And then the rest of them, like, "Eh, I'm okay. Dream Warriors is good. Uh, I would say New Nightmare is excellent. I could really go from, like, the first one to New Nightmare and be fine. Okay. Yeah. See, like, Dream Warriors is probably, I would put it up there with number one personally. But, um you know, everybody, everybody has their own, their own thoughts on that series. And, and, uh, that's not what we're here to talk about. So, <laughs> but, it, but it is cool that both you, you and I have a, you know, a very nightmare on Elm street centric story, right? Like this is, I mean, that changed your life in that way. And this is, I mean, it's a movie that changed my life in this other yeah. way where something I started doing in college, I'm still doing now. And it's like a whole a branching from the same tree you and I. Yeah, and I, I think that's one of the, the most fascinating parts about horror in general is, is you can meet these people that have uh, um, different thoughts and opinions on films. You know, like, <laughs> what's what's a good modern example? I guess Rob Zombie would be a good modern example. He's an incredibly polarizing director, but you've got a, a group of people that really love his stuff and a group of people that really hate his stuff. Um, and it's always fun, regardless of, of your perspective on those on any of his films, you know, to, to, to jump in and have conversations about them. Um, and then all of a sudden something heated can turn into a, a, a very good friendship. I know that that's been the case for me with, with several, uh, friends of mine that are diehard horror fans. Um, but you, you in particular seem to have a, a huge affinity for Stephen King. What started that? Um, oh, I love that man. Uh, so I started reading Stephen King, uh, in junior high. Um, I read Pet Cemetery and it and Carrie Wright kind of back to back on the bus and just fall in love with them. And I uh, was kind of 
you know, I had a long bus ride, so it was a lot of time to read. And so that kind of, since I was a kid, was a, a big um, influence on mine. And actually, Pet Cemetery, the film, was the first film, horror film that I liked. Because I had seen Nightmare on Elm Street Part 2 when I was a kid and gave me Freddy Nightmares forever. And so I was like, mm-mm, not into horror. <laughs> And then through the book, like I read the book and then I wanted to watch the movie and then it kind of all went from there. So it's been since I was young. And so then I, I started um, two and a half years ago reading everything related to the Dark Tower series because the Dark Tower series is his eight book masterwork. But then there are over 40 books and stories that are connected to it in some way. So he has this incredibly giant multiverse uh, that I think mm-hmm. most people don't realize that most of his books are connected through characters or towns or, you know, different uh, right. uh, stuff. And so that led me to read uh, Night Shift, which uh, is not... So the, and, and so um, Night Shift is a collection of his stories from the 70s, and there's a story in there called I Know What You Need, which I uh, really liked right away. So you've listened to the podcast. You know my affinity and my final girl downfall is the cute weirdo, mm-hmm. right? Norman Bates and Eric Binford from Fade to Black and Martin from Martin and uh, Arnie from Christine, like these boys who are clearly like they're so cute and they're so fucked up and i'm like oh i just want to cuddle them they're gonna kill me later but i really want to cuddle them (laughs) and it's so you know this kind of worrying um these kind of like weirdo weirdo characters and so that's kind of the main character of i know you need is very reminiscent of that archetype um so it's like a julia downfall and i'm like right away they started describing him i was like yep mm -hmm, on board (laughs) um and so i decided uh i let me ask for the film rights like how does one do that how do you ask for rights to a stephen king film and so it's actually incredibly easy uh you go on his website and there is a uh, form for the Dollar Baby program, which is this program where you mm-hmm. can buy so- the rights to certain stories of his for a dollar for a year, but the film has to be 45 minutes or under and non-profit, non-broadcast. So you can't sell it or stream it online, but you can uh, show it on film festivals and private screenings, and it basically gives people mm-hmm. a way to make a Stephen King film. Uh, so I wrote in and asked for the rights for I Know What You Need, and I got them. And so I have this year contract to make this film, uh, my very favorite Stephen King short story, uh, my favorite author, and I'm like over the moon. Uh, So I have um, an Indiegogo campaign that's running uh, right now that is to make this film. Uh, So it's in the middle and we've got a little ways to go, but I think we can do it. And the exciting part about this is... um, We're going to shoot on the campus at the University of Maine, which is where Stephen King attended and where this story is set. So we get to film in the exact locations from the story, which as a constant reader is like the most delicious thing ever. Um, And then also uh, there's a contract stipulation that you have to send Stephen King a finished copy of the film because he still wants to see what people do with his work. And so you have this film that you're doing with the end goal of Stephen King's actually going to sit down and watch this. So as a, somebody who is, if you want to donate to the campaign, there's the option of producing a Stephen King film, which is pretty damn cool. That is pretty damn cool. Yeah, and just a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity because it's, you know, after he's been doing this program for so long and that he still is interested to see how different people see his stories because everybody's using 
the same source material, but you're getting a different version of the story from everybody's brain. So, you know, and you look at all the, you know, versions we have of, you know, we have Pet Cemetery or It or all these different, you know, versions of the, the Mist or Under the Dome and like all these different things of this different versions of the same story. So I think that he's still interested makes me like him even more than I already did. Yeah, it'll be interesting to kind of see your interpretation of this. So the the film, well, I guess, sorry, the short story premiered in 76 in Cosmopolitan. Uh, Isn't that crazy? And you didn't read this until it was in Night Shift, right? right. So you, you, it's actually like kind of fascinating. You know, when you hear about uh, authors appearing in stuff like GQ or, uh, God, who was it? Was it Chuck Palahniuk that did one for Maxim? That ended up being in a collection of of his short stories. Uh, you know, it's always it's always awesome to hear them kind of stem from these magazines. But when you read through this, and I know your affinity for for the uh, the, the, the I don't know, I guess the creepy guy <laughs> is that really what it drew you in? You just read it and you were mm-hmm. like, hey, the, what, what's his name? Uh, Ed Hammer, right? If I remember correct. Yeah, it's really. Uh, I mean, the description of him is in the first page. And I and I, I was like, oh, he's a Julia boy completely. And so that meant that I was on this ride along with the main girl because I was like, oh, I'm really interested. So, you know, it is this love story, even though it's a Stephen King love story, which means it's super fucking twisted. Uh, but there is this romantic element and this, you know, where is the line between love and obsession? Right. And, you know, how you see this story is very, you know, I don't think many people read Edward <laughs> Edward's description is like, ooh, yeah. you know, <laughs> like <laughs> that's not a lot of people, but that's me. Do you find him to be a, a more sympathetic character than you think the average reader would? Yes, I do. And I, I mean, I do. Of course, I, I, I will say, you know, the, with these with these crushes that I'm talking about, like, I don't think Norman Bates is hot when he's gone bananas at the end. Like, that's not my scene. It's like the adorable, awkward right, right, eating right, right, candy right, right. corn out of a bag out of his pocket, like that kind of thing. So, of course, once Edward's, you know, reveal happens, I'm not into it. But the kind of and, and the whole idea of it of the story um i don't know how much to give away of the story <laughs> i mean it's from 1978 so but i'm still precious about spoilers even though my podcast is really spoiler heavy so it's a real like paradox of like i don't want to ever give anything away but i also yeah. want to tell everybody everything <laughs> <laughs> we run into the same problem we're always warning of people of 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 kind of Look, don't listen to this episode if you haven't seen this movie. <laughs> the right. Podcast exists to be listened to whenever you want to. Come, come back and and listen to it after you've watched it. Uh, so I understand not wanting to give away spoilers, uh, but I feel like I feel like with King stuff. Um, so you mentioned the the whole constant reader thing. Um, I feel like with with King stuff, you've got the staples. You've got it. You've got thinner. You've got well, even thinner. I don't know that, that I would really necessarily consider one of the ones that like everybody has read. So like mm-hmm. it, the stand, uh, shining, me, yeah, shining. Carrie. That's another one. Carrie. Um, so you've got those staples, and I don't think that his his short stories, especially like his older collections, are really part of of the larger. Uh, I guess pop culture zeitgeist that exists with Stephen King. So I don't, I don't think you have too much to worry about in terms of spoilers here. Well, I, all, all I would say is that you have, you know, Edward has powers and I think the fascinating thing about it is that in all of Stephen King's works, when somebody has powers, it's for a very exaggerated, very, uh, big thing right you have like someone like you know, johnny in the dead zone is using his powers to, like save people's lives and you have 
uh, Charlie and Firestarter who's using it to like bring down this government agency and like there's you know really big things. Right. But he just wants to make a girl fall in love with him, like this specific girl, and that's his right. goal. With like this is all he's using his powers for. I'm like that's as fucked up as it is. Also incredibly romantic. <laughs> so it's that line for me. We're like, wow, okay, I like you've dedicated your whole fucking life to it. Is, I mean, it is. It's it's one of those uh, you know when you put it that way, when you phrase it like that, it definitely. <laughs> Definitely sounds a lot more romantic than I think it turns out to be Yes. by the end of the short story. But yeah, up front, it definitely sounds, it's definitely a fantasy thing uh, in terms of, of, of just like relationships in general. Everybody wants that one person who's going to go out of their way to make them feel uh, adequate, I guess. And that's what the basic, I guess, premise of this story is. So it's, it's definitely fascinating in that respect. You have not... Uh, this is not your first film. No. You did it out of print in 2016, which is a documentary about revival cinema. Mm-hmm. And if I, if my notes are correct, that was shot in both 35 and digital, correct? That's very correct. And there's also a 35 millimeter print of the film that lives at the Academy Film Archive in between screenings. That's awesome. Uh, what's your preference then as somebody who, who has shot in both mediums, do you prefer a physical or do you, do you, do you not mind the digital format? I always prefer a physical medium. I mean, I still collect VHS and vinyl and like, I have, I just like to hold physical things in my hand. And I think that it looks more, much more beautiful. Um, So we, the, so my film out of print is really uh, arguing for uh, revival cinema and watching films with an audience and also uh, the importance of watching films on 35 millimeter. So the film's much more about 35 millimeter exhibition than it is about filming on film, but I still prefer okay. to film on film. So my uh, campaign that I have going right now, if it not, if it, the first stretch goal is to film on film okay. because I'm setting this film when it was written in 1976 so I would really like to film on 16 millimeter if possible. Um, I don't know if that'll be possible or not. I know that you can do a lot with digital to make it look like that, and it want it to. I want it to look as authentically 70s as possible. Yeah. Um, so film, it never film really is, has the exact same feel though when you when you do that. No, it doesn't. And I, you know, film will always be in my heart, and that's what I would much prefer. Um, always. Right. Right. Um, so talk to us about some of these stretch goals that you kind of got with us. So you've got the 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 filming on 16 millimeter what else do you have in line Mm -hmm. uh if you can manage to hit some of these other fundraising goals Uh, i'd really like to just make it uh lusher because it's a very small uh the story only has three main characters really so you're dealing with a very small cast and a very small crew uh and it's going to be very insular and i think that that'll make it so you can do the the 70s uh cheaply Mm -hmm. but but you know, it would be nice to do it a little bigger. And if we could have, you know, we need to have two vintage cars if, you know, we could make it bigger. And I want to make sure that we're shooting in a lot of the local locations in Maine and paying them fairly so that, you know, the more locations we can have, the more businesses that we can support. So that's really what we want to do as well. Um, And it's just going to be a strange thing to film. So it wouldn't be filming until summer of 2021. So we have a little bit of time and I'm hoping that things will be calmer by then. But of course the film industry is still kind of tenderly sticking its, you know, head back in. And so it's a weird time for it, but it's also, I have a year contract, so it's now or never. And I kind of need something to hope for, you know, 2020 has been so fucking grim 
to have say like, okay, but if I get through this next summer, I get to do a Stephen King film. You know, that's the really the drive of doing it now. And I feel, you know, I do feel awkward putting it out at a time when we're in a pandemic and people are losing friends and family and losing jobs. And I know how, you know, awkward it is. But I also think that, you know, even if you can't donate or don't want to donate, just spreading the word is really the best thing that anyone can do to help this because that's how these things get made is the more people that know about it, the more people that can donate. Absolutely. But the people who have been stepping up and really being wonderful are the are the Stephen King fans, which makes me so happy. Yeah, I uh I, I imagine that 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 uh the diehards out there are really excited about something like this. Um because this isn't really a, a one that I a short story that I know that has gotten a whole lot of love at least from from a film perspective. I know it's been kind of like loosely adapted one maybe one or two times. Um but having a full-on adaptation of this could be could be pretty exciting for for fans of of the story. Yeah, well, I I think, you know, filming on locate on the location from the story will be really really, you know, a big draw that any constant reader will be very excited about right. that. But also I want to make sure that cuz I'm adapting the script as well and I want to make sure to keep as much of his dialogue as possible. Okay. So speaking of kind of the setting, how did the conversation with the University of Maine go? How did you approach them and say, "Hey, I want to shoot this film here?" No, it's funny because it's the same thing. I just asked. I just sent an email. And that's, you know, with both me asking for the rights to the Stephen King short and me sending a letter to the University of Maine, I thought 100% both times they were going to say no. I was like, there's no way. And then they got yes both times. So I think, if anything, this has taught me just ask. You know, like the worst anybody can say is no. But if you ask, then maybe yes. And so so they said yes. I was like, "Oh fuck! Now I gotta do this shit." Okay, on, let's fucking do it. So yeah. you know, it kind of was this mo- moment of like, "Okay, well, well, this is something." You know, we got uh, um, a project that's gonna go forward, and so here we are in the middle of the campaign. And so it's been great to have this uh, confirmation that the people who it should matter most to, which are the Stephen King fans, are, it does seem to be something that people are excited about. And I want. I think this story is very unique and it's also very upsetting. And I think it'll be interesting because everybody I've talked to who reads the story has a completely different take on it and nobody has my take. So um, I think that's why it's exciting. I think, you know, you do as faithful as Stephen King as you can while also simultaneously making it as Julia Marchesi as you can. Okay. So let me ask you this. What, what, uh, I guess, pointers do you have for people that want to do exactly what you're doing that want to try kind of just, take something that they love or create something originally and, and just jump out there and, and start, start filming. Where, where do you begin? I guess, how do you assemble a cast? How do you assemble producers? How do you assemble uh, a competent editing and sound team? Um, how would you, how, what would you suggest to people just trying to get out there? Uh, well, I think finding what you want to do and then doing that is important. I think I, you know, I moved to LA, uh, almost 20 years ago and it was as I was moved here to be an actor and as an actor you're sitting around and waiting for people to cast you a lot right you're like you're not doing you're you're just waiting for others to give you this job but I think if you can find something that you can do yourself and don't need permission or you know immediate collaboration with anybody else 
that's the way to start. And then from there, because, you know, writing a script, obviously you can do by yourself, but then once the filmmaking part starts, that's where it, you know, and I, it's just asking really friends of friends. Does anybody know anybody? Um, both when I ran my Kickstarter for out of print and both, and now for this Indiegogo, I get people who are emailing me, offering me, do you need a composer? Do you need an editor? Do you need, you know, and so that's also, if you have a crowdfunding campaign, you're going to get that bonus. Um, and then I guess for filmmaking, you know, it's, it's strange because everybody says like, Oh, this person directed this film, but there's actually so many people that are working on this film to make it what it is. And it's this giant group effort, which is something that I like about it, but this is going to be new territory for me because I'm moving from a documentary to a narrative film. So i last time I didn't have to worry about casting. I didn't have to worry about storyboarding. I didn't have to worry about a lot of the elements that I have to worry about this time. So it's a whole different ball of wax. And then also adapting somebody else's work and trying to keep it faithful and, you know, there's there's transition scenes that I had to write that were I made me nervous. I was like, ah, can people tell? Are people like, oh, there's Stephen King, and what is this crappy dialogue? Get this out of here! You know, right. like it's this. You have this fear of like how you know, but but and it's interesting because the contract doesn't give you any rules at all about adaptation. You can do whatever you want. You can just you know take this one little kernel of it and then do something to- totally different. So they don't stipulate that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I think. Any Stephen King fan will tell you that the closer it can be to the actual story, the better the people will, more people will like it. Okay. Myself included. Okay. Um, well, all that sounds absolutely fantastic. And, and you said you're aiming to begin shooting next year. Do you have, assuming you guys can complete and everything within, within the timeline, do you guys have uh, and uh, kind of time when you'd like to get this movie out? So uh, probably filming next summer, and then it'll be editing for a few months and stuff, and then on to film festivals from there. And then if you want to see the film, uh, to, you have to donate. Uh, it's, so again, um, part of the stipulation is the contract. So once the film was finished, we'll send out to all of our backers the finished film, and you can mm-hmm. see it there. Uh, and it's going to be a cool film. It's going to be, uh, you know, you have, uh, you don't, you, it'll be interesting to see, I think, this film through uh, female filmmakers' eyes as well, uh, having a female protagonist, but a male writer, and now back again to a female writer and director, how it'll be different. It's interesting because you had brought up Pet Cemetery um, previously, and we kind of got that it's with Mary Lambert, right? Yeah, we kind for of the win. we kind of got that with with that. So it'll be interesting to see the the dichotomy here. Not to put you on on a pedestal and say you've got to do as well as Mary Lambert did. <laughs> yeah, please don't. God, I'm not a, I'm not at Mary Lambert level. Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> but I am looking forward to that. It'll be it'll be fun. So. Uh, really the only way you guys are going to be able to check this out is by donating the campaign. So make sure that you guys go ahead and do that. I will put a link to all this in the podcast description. Um, it is up on Indiegogo. I think if you just do a search for, I know what you need on that, it brings it up. It's one of the first or Stephen King or Julia Marchesi. Any of those will bring it up. Yep. So you'll find a link there. And like I said, just go to Indiegogo and search for it. If you, if you're too lazy to pull up the podcast description, guys, I know some of you are, um, if you see, if you see the, uh, the bloody ice cream cone, you're in the right place. Exactly. Uh, so you just kind of like picking your brain about a couple other more, more fun. Yes, please. Kind of typical Stephen King questions. You had tweeted out not too long ago that you finished under the dome. Uh, mm-hmm. and that, that book was it talk about, start the first three quarters of that for me personally were fantastic 
I have never, it's been a long time since I've hated a character as much as I hated Big yeah. Jim uh, yeah. and Junior. Definitely, yes. <laughs> Uh, and so, so, you know, Stephen King has this, the, the, one of the, one of the, the jokes about him kind of as in general, as, as a writer is he knows how to weave one hell of a yarn, but his, is he has trouble kind of figuring out the end. And, uh, you had tweeted out that you really enjoyed that one. I want to know what, if any, Stephen King work is your least favorite. Oh yeah. I can answer that pretty easily. Um, I'll give you like my bottom, my bottom three. How about that? Okay. Because uh, I've been doing, I've been doing, I've been doing this whole like Dark Tower journey, right? So I've right. been reading everything, and it's all over the map. And sometimes I find ones that I love, and sometimes I just do not like them. So, from um, a Buick Eight, I was not a big fan of. Um, it like is this continual tease of another world that we never actually see, which drove me bananas. Mm-hmm. Although I do appreciate that it's about storytelling. I like that part of it. Um, Dreamcatcher, I'm sorry, is not good. <laughs> I understand he was writing it when he was getting like back on his feet after the accident. So I give him a lot of leeway, but it's just not good. And then I watch the movie and I'm like, oh man, the movie's worse. Yeah, yeah. I didn't think it could get worse, but it did. Yeah. Um, and then uh, the red, <laughs> it's just not a good, not a good, I'm sorry. It's a, it's a swig and a miss on that one. I'm sorry. What was the um, and one? then uh, the regulators, which I just really, that's, I think that's my very bottom. So there's, um, he, he did two, two, he did one as Bachman and one as King, the regulators and desperation. Okay. They're supposed to be like mirror novels is what they're called, which I was really excited about until I actually read them. And then I was really confused. Um, it's like, so they take, he takes the same character, same characters, but like flips their relationships. So it's like someone who was the mom in the last story is now the daughter in this story. And you have to like keep everybody straight in this other parallel universe. It was, I found it very confusing and the um, premise is ridiculous. <laughs> the premise is ridiculous. So yeah, the regulators, sorry, not, not a fan. Yeah. I read, I read uh desperation and, uh, and I never read Regulators, uh, but De- Desperation was, was I found it had some redeeming stuff. It's okay. Right? Like, it's okay. It, yeah. I, I appreciate it. Takes, <laughs> Desperation it was not one of my favorites. I'm from Nevada because I am from Nevada. And so that makes me happy. Yeah, it's fine. Uh, but yeah, it's, and it's definitely, Desperation is definitely the better of the two. Um, the Regulators. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't think, I don't, I, I think there's a movie of Desperation. I don't know if there's one of, the regulators i don't know if they would but they did Dreamcatcher, so who the fuck knows yeah that's true i think desperation got a mini series like a lot of stephen king's work uh, um and and if i remember right the mini series was was not that great uh it actually deterred me from wanting to read desperation and i didn't actually read desperation until late last year for the first time uh and yeah, uh that would that would also be like low on my list Desperation would be, I, you know, I have so many others that I would like rather read than that one. Right. And I would never recommend it. Like if you were to ask me to recommend you and Stephen King, that would never, I would never recommend that one. Yeah, for sure. I I definitely would not either. Now on the other end of the spectrum, what's your, if you had to recommend to somebody, Hey, start with, start with this Stephen King novel. uh, What would it be? Not necessarily your favorite, but one that you would recommend to somebody. Right. Yeah, exactly. Because I'm just thinking, because I'm like, my favorites are It and The Dark Tower, but those are both in ginormous undertakings, right? Because it's over 1,100 pages and The Dark Tower is eight books. So that's asking a lot of somebody. 
So uh, when I give people Stephen King books as presents, which I do a lot, uh, I usually do The Shining or Carrie because they're quite small and they're ones that people are familiar with. And I think they're ones that people would be surprised are a little bit different than the story, uh, the movie. Um, right. But yeah, I'm the books also are a lot in different. My Dark Tower, uh, in my Dark Tower quest, I also came across uh, The Long Walk which is now in my very, very, very top. So I think that that would be the one of the runs I would recommend because it's short, it's amazing, it's contained, um, and it is the first novel that he ever wrote. Not the one that was published, Carrie was first published, but this was the first one he ever wrote and then like put it in the trunk and later brought it out as a Bachman novel, and it's mind-blowing. So if you haven't read The Long Walk, get on it. I have not read The Long Walk. I'm going to have to check that one out. I think I would go with 11-22-63, which is always loud of left well, That's always a big ask. It, it, what eleven twenty two sixty three? I don't think yeah, so. I think it's, it's, it's a page turner. I thought I blew through it in like in in less than two days. No, no, no. I'm just saying to to like ask somebody. You wait. The move. You read the eleven twenty two sixty three in two days. Yeah. How it was literally like I picked it up, uh, set it on my nightstand, and read it over a weekend, and did not stop <laughs> except wow. to like eat. Because it was one, it was, and that's part of the reason I think I would recommend it is because it's been a very long time since uh, not just a Stephen King book, but any book period has really uh, grabbed me as much as that did. And while I think the setup for it is is kind of cheesy, it's such a thrilling novel uh, all the way through. And I mean the the world development and the way he captures the the 60s and that it's just so it's so perfect well even you know the before then when he first goes into the to the past and everything it just feels right at home um yeah um i actually just finished reading that as well for my um myself and i gave it to my um so my dad is not into horror whatsoever mm -hmm. no horror books no horror movies not his scene um and i gave him 11 63 for christmas because he's like okay dad no horror this is just going to be straight like like alternate history because my dad's really into history and uh jfk so i was like here we go here's the door that i like get him in on on it and he read the whole thing um and he really liked it but he at the end he called me and he said who's the gym law <laughs> like, i don't know dad <laughs> who is the gym law <laughs> Yeah, I uh, I I found that to be fantastic. I think that would probably, like, like you said, it's it's not horror. Um, and I think that book has a very good. So it's kind of how I got got my wife to read some Stephen King. Uh, because she she much like your father is is not at all anything horror. She'll she'll suffer through some of it just to appease me. But other than that, she doesn't want anything to do with it. And so I was trying to convince her, I think, to read The Stand. Um, and I had just finished eleven twenty two sixty three. I, I just handed it right to her, and I was like, "Just give it a shot. It's not anything. There's not really any horror to it. Uh, I mean, there there are some. I don't think there's any Stephen King book that doesn't have any element of horror in it. It's still got a couple spooky parts, you know. But the, for the most part, it's just an alternate history story. And so she jumped into it and fell in love with it just as much. And I've actually gone through and I've I've recommended that one to a couple other people as well that aren't normally big horror people. And all of a sudden it opens their eyes to Stephen King as, as a writer more than just mm -hmm. a master of horror, which is, I think, um, you know, how everybody perceives him instead of just being this, this incredibly good writer. Uh, and so after that, you know, she read the stand she read and she even read it and, and finished that. And I actually, that got her into the theater to see the remake with me. Um, and so it's one of those things, like, I think that is such like a gateway to, to, uh, 
experiencing what Stephen King has to offer without being scared. That's awesome. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things. Like I always have to ask people that are big fans of Stephen King because his work is so all encompassing. You didn't tell me what your least favorite Oh, was. my least favorite. Oh, oh, that's a good question. I would probably say the Tommy knockers. I really struggled to get through the Tommy knockers. I'm reading it right now. Are you in the middle of it right now? Uh, what do you think of it? I'm okay. I'm enjoying it so far because uh, only, be- only, only because uh, there's so many Dark Tower connections already that every time one of them pops up, I'm like, oh, oh, because now I've gotten so far that like you know, because when I first started reading them, I I couldn't see the connections, and now I can start seeing the connections, right? And so there's ones like in. The Tommyknockers, uh, they mentioned the shop, which means that that's the shop is the play, um, the government agency that Charlie destroys in Firestarter. So we know that those are connected. And Jack Sawyer from mm-hmm. the Talisman shows up, so we know that those are connected. And, like, they all – so that's the delight of reading all of these in this multiverse and getting to see how everything's connected. So I don't know where the Tommyknockers is going right now. I'm at that point, middle point in the story where it could go in a billion different directions. So it sounds, and I've heard a lot of people say mm-hmm. they don't like it. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. That's the great thing about his work. You know, everybody's entitled their, to their own kind of opinion on things. But yeah, I think, I think it's, I really didn't like Revival either. That was a more recent one for him. Oh, I liked Revival. I thought the, the opening passage in Revival is killer. I thought, I thought Revival started off incredibly strong. And by the time I got to the halfway point of it, uh, I, that's actually one of the few Stephen King books that I haven't, I've never finished. <laughs> oh, wow. I, th- I think you like, I think I liked it. And I think that the, it goes in a cool direction, I think. All right. Just, just because of you, I'm going to give it another shot okay. and I, I right. will report back and see. Okay. And see. I, I expect the report on my desk Monday morning, sir. <laughs> I don't know that you're going to get that. <laughs> my, since having a baby, my time for, for silent and, and uh, enjoyable reading has gone out the window. <laughs> so yeah, it might take me a little bit longer, but I promise I will report back and, and we'll, 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 I don't know. Maybe we'll have a discussion about it down, somewhere down the road. Okay. But I think that's a good. I think that's a good place to end it. We've gotten into in depth about Stephen King, about our loves of, of horror. We've kind of talked about your podcast. We've definitely talked about your your Indiegogo campaign and your hopes for that. Are there any final things you want to share with our listeners before we uh, we call it for this this gory details? Uh, I would say that horror movies have a lot more to teach you than they you think they do, and I think that that's been in, that you know in horror in general you know both Stephen King and and horror movies you know my podcast is about surviving and I think that that's something to look at in a very in an academic way but also kind of in a in a a realist way uh survivalist way and I think the cool thing about it is that horror people are as far as I can tell the nicest people around and everybody's so supportive of one another and I think that that's amazing and I you know doing this campaign and feeling the support of everybody and the horror people and the Stephen King folks and because I know I'm I live alone and so this time is really isolating and so I sent this out with no concept of how it was going to be received um, and was worried that it would be very negatively received and it was actually incredibly positively received so you've seen a pattern here right like I thought I would be rejected twice and I was actually (laughs) I was actually approved and now I'm like, oh, everybody will hate this, but actually they seem to really like it. So it's been this pleasant surprise after pleasant surprise. And I just, 
I think all I can say is follow your passions. And I think that's such a cliched thing to say, but I've loved horror movies forever genuinely. And that shines through. And that's why people like to listen to the podcast. And I think the same with this film is that you can tell if you watch the video on my Indiegogo campaign, like I'm the biggest constant reader nerd you've ever seen. I've read all of these books and I'm super proud of it. And I wear you know, Stephen King rules t-shirts and it's just a big mad nerd fest, <laughs> but it's done with such love. And I think that that's what makes the difference is you can tell when something is done with love and everything I do is. So if there's something that you're passionate about, then just ask and go forward because you only get in life what you have the courage to ask for. So ask. All right. Well, I think that's uh, probably the most poignant way anybody has ever signed off <laughs> on this cast. So uh, a big applause for you on that. I, uh, I appreciate you once again taking the time. <laughs> Sorry, did I, get, I, I, I get a little crazy? No, no, end. that was fantastic. That was uh, that was one of those things like I, I took inspiration from that. So hopefully somebody out there will, uh, will really reach for the stars with that statement. Um, where can people follow you on, on social media, Julia? I'm at Julia C. Marchesi on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, there's also an Instagram and Twitter for uh, the uh, I Know What You Need film and Horror Movie Survival Guides on there as well. So you can you got JuliaMarchesi.com. You just Google me and I'll be there. She's all over the place. You're like, whose face goes with that voice? That You can find that out. <laughs> Once again, thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It has been a fantastic interview. Uh, all the best of luck to you on your Indiegogo go campaign. I think we're gonna we're gonna contribute ourselves. Um, oh, thank you. And uh, we'll we'll look forward to seeing the final product when it's all said and done. Thank you so much. Yeah, of course, of course. We always try to support anything that that seems remotely interesting and hard. <laughs> um, so we're excited to check it out. Hopefully, hopefully everything will will go forward with with covid and everything i know that's that's a bit more of a burden than i think anybody wants to take on right now but you are out there doing it and 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 power to you yes with fingers fingers are definitely crossed (laughs) all right julia on that note thank you again for being on the cast and uh we hope to speak to you again soon thank you so much and uh long days and pleasant nights to you sir (laughs) take care